Welcome to the Pimp Your Brilliance podcast with Monique Malcolm, a show about leveraging your existing knowledge, unique skills, or passion to build a thriving creative business. I aim to show you what's really possible when you stop letting fear have all the fun and start taking action towards your goals. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting PimpYourBrilliance.com. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pimp Your Brilliance. I'm so glad that you're here. This is episode 97, and you can find show notes at pimpyourbrilliance.com backslash 97. So on today's episode, this is a listener Q&A. That means all the questions that I'm answering today are submitted from you, the listeners, and it's been a while since I've done a Q&A, so this is really exciting, and I had a lot of good questions, and these are questions that I received and the end of the year survey. So people filled out the survey and told me what they think about the show and suggestions. And then I always ask, what would you ask me if you could ask me anything? And here's what the people said. I have 10 questions. I had more than that, but it would make the show way too long. So I chose the questions that I thought applied to the most people that were really interesting or that I felt really needed some airtime. And technically, uh, the previous episode, episode 96, was a listener question that I turned into a full episode because it made sense. And it was the message that I felt like I needed to give you guys at the top of the year. So if you haven't listened to episode 96, go back and listen to it because that message was for you. But Here we go. I'm going to jump into these questions. They're not in any particular order. Honestly, I just copied and pasted them over and then just took some quick bullet point notes so that I remembered what I wanted to say because the questions really do range, but they're really good questions. So let's dive in and get to the first question, which is how do I market myself online in my industry? Great question. So there's a lot of things when it comes to marketing, but I'm going to simplify it to a few things. But the first thing is, it really starts with being clear about who you help and how you help them. This is something that I'm never going to stop saying. You really do need to have an audience in mind. You can choose the audience, even if you're not at the point where you feel like you know your niche, you need to know who it is that you want to help and how you can help them. So where does your expertise line up with their problems? This is really important to know because clarity informs your next actions. And that's things like deciding what type of content you're going to create, where you're going to be hanging out online. It also influences and informs the offers that you're going to make to this particular audience. So you can't skip that step. And if you are unsure about how to market yourself online, I'm thinking very strongly that the first part is maybe you're not really clear on who you're helping and how you help them. And so you need to do that first. After that, starting an email list, you need a list. Money is in your list. Anyone who joins your email list, they are a lead. These are people who have opted in to hear what you have to say. That's why when we have email lists, we have things like opt-ins and stuff of that nature because that is permission-based marketing. You can market to those people because they basically raised their hand and said, yes, you can send me emails. 
And then when it comes to simplifying it, these are the three key things that you need to focus on. Because in my experience, we tend to make the idea of marketing a lot more complicated than it needs to be. And I think it boils down to this, telling people about your work that you do, sharing your results. So those client transformations that you're getting, and then inviting people to invest money into your offers. That's it. Those are the three things that you need to focus on. So what does that look like? The first thing, telling people about your work. Are you doing this consistently? Big question here. And when I say that, I'm asking, like, do you have a plan in place for creating content? Are you partnering with your creative neighbors to get in front of new people? This is huge and really underutilized. There are people who are adjacent to you, your creative neighbors, who have audiences. The biggest thing that I feel like we run into as solopreneurs, small business owners, is expanding outside of our initial network. You can only pitch your offers to the same people so many times. You need to get in front of more people. So partnering with your creative neighbors is a great way to share audiences with someone else. Then are you leveraging social media to showcase your expertise and help you stay top of mind for your audience? So social media is a tool. If you like it, use it. Use it to showcase little bits and pieces of your brilliance. And don't be, don't hold back. Don't be embarrassed. Everybody is promoting themselves on social media. So don't feel a way about it. The second part about um, sharing your results. So are you sharing examples of the results that you generate for your clients or that your products generate for your clients? This is really important. In the beginning, it can be your own results. So if you haven't had a lot of clients, if you've had no clients or no customers, but you are the best at taking Instagram flat lays and you know this because you've done it for yourself and you've gotten rave reviews, you've built your audience and all of these things, well, then you can showcase your own results. You can be your first case study. There's nothing wrong with that. But once you start to get clients or customers, you need to start sharing social, social tongue tied. You need to start sharing social proof. You can also share user generated content. So if you are a product based business, sharing pictures of people using your product. So for example, in my planner business, when people unbox their planners and they post pictures on Instagram, I like to reshare those because it's showing other people, hey. People are using this. People are buying this. People are spending money here. So make sure you're doing that. And then the other thing that's really clutch is, are you helping people see what the transformation of working with you or using your products is like? So going back to that social proof, when we talk about transformation, what you're doing in your business, if we think about the fact that businesses are, you're in business to solve problems. So how does your customer come to you or your client come to you? They start at point A and then you help them get to point B. Are you helping potential customers or potential clients see themselves as that point B? That's the transformation. That's what people want. People don't necessarily want more information. They don't need more content. What they want is a fix. They want a transformation. They want to have started out, not stylish, 
to now feeling confident because they found their signature style. You know, things like that. So thinking about your clients before and after transformation, and are you showcasing this online for other clients to see or other potential customers to see? And then the last piece, inviting people to invest money into your offers. Are you making offers? When is the last time you ran a sale? This is important. When is the last time that you let your audience know the different ways that they can work with you? So if you haven't done this in a while or you're not doing this, make it a point to have at least one email a month sharing your availability or promoting a product. A really great tip that I read somewhere online was to write these three emails at the beginning of the quarter and go ahead and pre-schedule them because the marketing piece or the promoting ourselves piece is the ball that always gets dropped and you don't want to drop that ball. So if you go ahead and pre-write the emails and schedule them out, they're already there. So if you forget, it'll go out automatically. So that's something you could do. As far as social media goes, depending on the platform you're using, like if you're using something like Twitter, you can do this every day because the timeline moves so quickly that it's not going to it's not going to show up over and over again. But for most other platforms, I would say three to five times a week, you need to be telling people about your offer, about ways they can work with you. It doesn't always have to be on Instagram, a photo and a long caption. It can be a reel. It can be a story. It can be an Instagram live. You can mix it up, but you have to get more consistent with letting people know ways that they can spend money with you because we're not going to buy what we don't know we can buy. So that's question number one. Number two, how can I ensure I don't copyright anything at all? So, okay, so I think we're talking about making a copyright infringement. And disclaimer, this is not legal advice. I'm not an attorney. I'm not giving you any legal advice. Okay, but I want to make sure you understand what a copyright is and then how you can avoid it. So what is a copyright? Copyright refers to the legal right of the owner of intellectual property. So if you have a copyright, you it's your intellectual property. And that's the key part, the owner of the intellectual property. So intellectual property is things like musicals, dramatic works, written works, videos, sound recordings, artistic works, so sculptures, graphic designs, I think it even extends to architectural designs. All of these things belong to someone, either the person who came up with the concept or the company or that person's family. There is a limit to copyrighted works. But again, I'm not a lawyer, so we're not even going to go there. But it's really simple. How do you avoid copyright infringement? You just don't take work online that you didn't create and pass it off as your own. This is really important for things like photos because people tend to think that they can Google a photo and use it on their website or their product or on your Instagram. Technically, unless you have been given explicit permission by the person who owns that work or you have purchased a license for usage, you cannot do that. Now, there is a thing called Creative Commons, and there's like that's where all those free stock photo sites kind of operate in that realm. Um, But you have to make sure you check the site and that it gives you Creative Commons permission. And then you have to see what is allowable under that 
Creative Commons license of use. Other places like marketplaces, like creative marketing, things like that, a lot of times if you're buying it for commercial, they are giving you some type of license. But even then, there are restrictions to what you can create and the amounts of things that you can produce. So you just want to make sure that you are reading the licensing on that to make sure that you are within the parameters of that licensing. Otherwise, um, don't use things that you don't have permission to use. Plain and simple. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. It's really expensive. Okay. What's the best non-social media platform to sell or market on? This is going to come as a surprise. It's your website. It's your website, hands down. And people never really think about their website as a platform. But when I think about the content that you're creating, I always say, build your home base first, which is your own website. Utilize your own platform first. And this is because SEO, search engine optimization, is still extremely important. It it used to be a big thing that bloggers did in the early days, the early days of, of blogging and social media before we had so many platforms. And then we got social media platforms and that became the new darling of the internet. And that's where everybody wants to market their business on. But here is a thing that somebody said some months ago and it stuck with me and I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, she said that, I, I wish I remember her name, but she said that she didn't want to create content for places that the content was going to expire in 24 hours. And I started thinking about that. I mean, of course, she was throwing shade at Instagram stories, but even other social media networks don't have like longevity. Tweets don't have the longevity they used to. Instagram posts, they're whatever. Some people are seeing them like seven days out. So I guess you could technically say it has longevity, but not in the way that you want. But SEO is one of those time-tested things. It works. Now, it's a long game, but when I think about this year and like the amount of content that I put out, especially with the podcast, like doing a weekly podcast, that's so much content. It doesn't get the love that it could on the social networks, but on my blog, I have posts that like generate crazy amounts of traffic. And I start looking at my numbers for the year, like whether people are coming from Google search for specific posts and like the words that they're they're using to find those posts. It's really given me a lot of thought about where I want to spend my time building this year. And I want to spend my time building on platforms that help me build SEO value. So that is my website first and foremost, because I want to direct as much traffic there as possible, but also YouTube because YouTube functions as a video search engine and YouTube videos come up in the top of search results and they're visual, especially on Google. If you, if you use a Google search, you'll see the top, the top results. If there's a video available, they're at the top of the search engine box. And then Pinterest. Pinterest is a visual search engine. A lot of people still think of it as a social network, but it's a visual search engine. And Pinterest pins do show up in Google search results and they show up near the top. So I want to spend as much as much time as possible building up SEO value towards my site because that means if Instagram changes their algorithm or I just decide I'm done with social media, I can still get crazy amounts of traffic 
on autopilot for people who are actually searching for the things that I offer. So it's not just somebody like doom scrolling into infinity. There are people who are actually looking for a specific answer. So I feel like those people are most primed to take action in that moment because that's what they're looking for. Next question. How do you remain consistent when you aren't seeing results? And at what point do you decide that you need to change trajectory? Ooh, okay. So this is one of those times when I think that you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I really being consistent? And this is not me throwing shade because I'm not shady. I say this with love. Only you know the answer to this. I can't answer that for you. But if there's any doubt, any niggling doubt that you aren't being as consistent as you could be, then there's room for improvement. And here's what I would do. The first thing is realizing that consistency has to happen in order for you to see real results in your business. You're not going to get the results that you want if you're not being consistent, if you're only giving us half effort. So I would really examine what does it mean for me to be consistent? Because sometimes I think people feel like being consistent means you have to do it every day perfectly all the time. And you don't have to have an everyday cadence for you to be consistent in something. You just have to commit to a specific time frame or a specific recurrence of this, whatever you're doing to be consistent. So if you are going to be doing weekly videos that come out on Fridays, then you need to have a video out Friday. If you want to start emailing your list every Wednesday, then you need to start doing that every Wednesday. So after you've made that commitment, whatever it is, probably don't do an everyday (laughs) commitment especially if you're someone that's busy and you're just starting to flex those muscles of being disciplined and and being consistent. But after you've made the commitment, you have to make time to actually do it. This is where you pull out your calendars, your planners, your project management system, and you schedule time and you put due dates. You assign like what days these things are going live or when you're going to do them and you actually do them. Don't beat yourself up if you fall off track once or twice. Okay, it's fine. It happens. That's a part of the process of becoming consistent. You have to get into the habit of doing it. And sometimes it takes a while to get it together. The mistake that we often make is falling off the wagon and then not getting back on because we just think, oh, man, I I failed. I'm trying to be more consistent with not eating so many sweets. Sometimes I do an amazing job at this. And sometimes I'm just like, I need the cake and I'm going to eat the cake. And if I took the day that I ate the cake and was like, oh man, I ate the cake and now I'm inconsistent and I failed. I mean, we could go the rest of the week eating cake, but that's not going to get us to where we need to be. So it's just, you know, recognizing that, okay, I fell off track and, and hurrying up to get back on track. The next thing is, and I think this answers the second part of your question, At what point do you decide you need to change trajectory? I think that you need to give yourself a decent amount of time to assess what you've done and how that turned out. I think 90 days is a really good amount of time. 
It's enough time to put a plan in place and see how it works. Anything shorter, I think is not enough time. Anything longer, maybe too much time and it's time wasted. So 90 days is like my sweet spot for that. And in those 90 days, you need to have some type of stats that you're going to be tracking. So this can be visitors to your website. It could be conversion, number of followers, whatever makes sense for the thing that you're working on, number of new subscribers. But at the end of 90 days, you take your results and you assess them. If you were consistent, and remember being honest here, if you're really consistent and the data doesn't look good, that's probably a good indication that you need to change trajectory, that you need to come up with a new plan, something needs to change. However, I just want to put put this out there. Feelings are not facts. So sometimes we take our feelings and we try to apply them to decisions in our business. Don't do that. Use data. Now, I'm not saying don't trust your intuition because you know. When you know, you know. But I am saying that when it makes sense and as much as possible, use your data. Make decisions by using data and your numbers because those aren't going to lie. Okay, so next question. Looking back, how have you streamlined different aspects of your business or have seen others do it? I'm looking for tips and tricks. So my my solopreneur cheat code, this is a thing that I think everyone should do and it saves me a ton of time. It's templating everything, using templates. And when I say using templates, people immediately think about graphic templates. And yes, you definitely should be using graphic templates. I use them quite a lot in my business. For example, with the podcast, if you look at Pin- oh, not Pinterest, at Instagram, you'll notice every podcast announcement has essentially the same template, just different text and a different main photo. But I'm not just talking graphic templates. I'm talking about everything. I template the way that I write newsletters. So there's a specific formula that I use, especially if it's one where I am telling a story or relating something that has happened. It's story, proof, lesson. So basically, I tell you the story. I give you some proof of why this is the case. And I share the overarching lesson. And I do that every single time. I learned that trick from Paul Jarvis. And then when we talk about systems and processes, a lot of those are templates. They are, it's a fancy way to say templates, but it's basically taking something that you do all the time and coming up with a specific formula or a way that you do that. And so everything is templated. Uh, Graphics, the way that I record podcasts, the way that I write blog posts, the way that I schedule things, like everything follows a template or a specific formula. In addition to that, my other thing is simplifying where it makes sense. Because here's something that you may not know about me, but my friends, my family, they laugh. I love, 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 love to do the most. And my motto is, if you can do anything, why not do the most? But what I have learned is doing the most in business, especially as basically a one-woman shop with an assistant. There's just, I can't do all the things all the time. And sometimes things can't be done the first time, like to my extreme vision. So I'm learning to simplify. 
and scale things back. So I've started asking myself the question, do I need to do this or am I doing the most? And I'm honest with myself and sometimes I'm doing the most and I have to say, okay, how can I simplify this? How can I scale this back? How can I make sure that this gets done without trying to do this extreme over the top version of it? So I think when you're just looking for ways to just streamline the back end of your business, one, having your processes in place is going to be crucial because again, that goes back to the templating and just you know, using that same repetitive stuff that you're doing all the time, don't start from the, from the very beginning. Start from a fixed point. But then once you have that in place, really looking at where can I simplify this? Where can I take some things away or make it easier to do or less uh, tedious to work with? And I think that is really the key to starting the process of streamlining. Okay, so question number six, and we are rolling along. When did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? What has your career journey looked like? And what is your vision for your business? Oh, so (laughs) I think I'm not sure if I've ever done like a how I got started episode. I need to look in the archives. I may have something, but I probably need to do an updated one because a lot has changed. But here is the long cliff notes version. (laughs) So I actually never set out to be an entrepreneur per se. Um, Growing up, my family owned a trucking company and it grew rather large over the years. And my dad worked, it was, it was owned by my grandfather and my dad worked there basically as long as I can remember. And so I just always assumed I'm the second oldest grandchild that I would join the family business. Made sense to me. My dad worked there. You know, some of my uncles dabbled and that was my grandfather's business for a number of years. And so my dad encouraged me to pursue business in college, which I did. I have a degree in business management, which is funny. But, um, you know, I got that degree and I just always assumed like I would leave college and work for the family business. Well, you know, you think you have plans. <laughs> my grandfather dissolved the business before, like maybe a year or so before I graduated college. And so that was no longer an option. And if you know a bit about my story, I taught for a number of years. I also worked for a popular car insurance place. I won't tell you the name, but you can save 15% or more. So I have a little bit of corporate experience and then some experience in education but not a lot, like maybe three years total of <laughs> those two things combined. Uh, but I learned I learned very early on in my education career that it was not going to be for me, and I wanted to escape. And while I was teaching, I learned about blogging. That was, that was the thing that was starting to rise, and I was seeing people blogging online. And so I started my first blog in 2008. When I tell people like I'm an OG blogger, I'm an OG at this, it's it's not a lie. I've been online in some capacity since 2008. I had that blog. Um, it's nothing like what influencers are now and what paid advertising is now, but it, it didn't make me enough money to quit my job, but it made money. And like the perks at the time, like the freebies were insane. So crazy. But I I will I'll talk about this more in another episode just dedicated to this, but 
um, that was that was what gave me the belief that I could do something online. And then I was seeing crafting was like a thing and, and Etsy was becoming popular and people were having like insane Etsy um, stores that were making like enough money to replace their careers. And so I started my first Etsy shop in 2009 that eventually became my clothing line, Anti-Sparkle Apparel. I loved Anti-Sparkle. I loved doing t-shirts and screen printing. And I did that for a number of years. Um, I rebranded from Anti-Sparkle Apparel to keep chasing the stars in, I believe, 2015. So, I mean, six, six years of slinging t-shirts at online and at craft shows. It's kind of crazy. But changing from anti-sparkle apparel to keep chasing the stars, I felt gave me some room to expand because at the time I had gotten really interested in speaking and going to conferences. And then I got the idea, I got the idea for the planner in 2014. So I was already working on that before I rebranded to keep chasing the stars. And then, you know, when I initially launched Pimp Your Brilliance as a podcast, it was under the Keep Chasing the Stars umbrella of things until I eventually gave it its own website, you know, domain. So Keep Chasing the Stars has served me well. And at this point, it is strictly my e-commerce store, you know, where I sell the Visionary Journal and some stationery and small gifts. But, you know, it's funny because one of the reasons why I rebranded was because at the time I had a coach and she told me that it was weird when I introduced myself at conferences and events as anti-sparkle apparel. Like that was the thing I did because she was like, you're just so much more than a t-shirt line and more than a t-shirt designer. And she just felt like anti-sparkle, not the name, but just like saying that's what I did didn't make sense to her. And it's funny because, like I said, I rebranded in 2015, 2016, 15, 2015. And here we are six years later. And I'm at this place again where I feel limited by the labels or the brands that I have placed on myself, which is funny. And this is a good time for me to share this. Like if you haven't seen this on Instagram or been to my website recently, if you go to pimpyourbrilliance.com right now, you'll actually be redirected to moniquemalcolm.com. Um, I made the decision over the holidays to, I'm not even calling it a rebrand. It's more so a streamlining because it doesn't change anything for you as a listener and I'm not done, like I haven't done everything I want to do with this podcast yet. And I'm still very attached to the name Pimp Your Brilliance. I think it's so clever. And, you know, just the idea of being brilliant. But I, again, maybe it's like a six-year cycle. I don't know. But I am back in a place where I felt limited by the brand. Um, because, you know, sending people to pimpyourbrilliance.com makes people think that I'm just a podcaster and I'm not just a podcaster. I'm so much more than a podcaster. And I actually have a ton of experience, especially on the physical product side of things, in addition to the digital product. And I've done trade shows and a lot of stuff that people don't know about uh, because I don't tell them because they're, they're, I haven't 
ever had a space where I felt like I could showcase the full range of everything that I have done and like all of my experiences. And so this is a point where I want to step from behind the brand and actually stand on my own name and all of the things that I can do. So it's it's a great change and I'm really excited, but at the same time, making changes like that is kind of scary because I am very attached to my brands. I love them. They're my ideas, like things that I said in my mind, like manifest into reality. And so I, I love them and everything that I've done, but I don't want to just be labeled as a podcaster. Like this year, I want to do more strategy work because I'm I'm scarily good at it. It's if I've been doing, I'm going on a tangent, but anyway, I've been doing these coffee chats with people that I've met online and I'm telling you, it always ends up like we're having this great conversation about things we do and hobbies and just getting to know each other. And like, before I know it, I'm like breaking down an entire strategy or like breaking down their whole brand. And I'm just like, I'm so sorry. I can't turn it off. I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's been good because it, it has, um, opened people up to being like, oh my gosh, we should work together. And so um, this is the most effortless I've ever booked clients. So that's that's a nice aside. And I'm going to share more about that in a future episode because I think you guys need to know about this thing that I've been doing. But I don't want to go into that because it it takes me off track. But um, yeah, this is is me stepping from behind the brand because I've always enjoyed having that buffer between myself and everyone else. Like when you are the personal brand, everything falls on you. But when I have a brand in front, I can kind of hide in the shadows a little bit. And I don't want to do that anymore because I still have so much, like I have, I have goals, y'all, which brings me to the final part of your question. So I hope that answers the question. It's been a, it's been a winding road. There hasn't been one specific thing. Like my business has evolved and changed over the years. And I think it's because Every year I get a little bit closer to like fully realizing who I am and what I can do. And I know a little bit more about what what works and what doesn't. And so I just go after that. But um, answering the what is your vision for your business? So I think that it might surprise people to know that the end goal for me is not pimp your brilliance. It could be. I mean, like I said, I, I learn every year what I'm best at. And so this year, I want to explore doing more client work and doing more strategy things and, and helping other people in their business in a real tangible way to see if this is something that I love. But the end, for me, the end goal is on keep chasing the star side. Uh, I still very much love physical products and selling physical products. And the Visionary Journal is like, I have such a big vision for that. And I always have, and I'm nowhere near where I want to be with that. And I've gotten really off track focusing on ultimately what I wanted to do with that and how I could make that thing, make it better than what it is. Because the version that you're seeing now, it's it's amazing. The Galaxy version is amazing, but that wasn't my original vision. At the time, I didn't know how to make it happen manufacturing wise. And now I do. And so I want to go back to the drawing board and make that the planner that I I originally wanted the way that I wanted. Um, And then um, the other part of that is like, I want to build a full stationary line. 
Um, the whole idea of like keep chasing the stars and it for me is like being in relentless pursuit of your passion. And I am obsessed with astronomy and like the stars and the planets. There's a, I have like a, a tattoo, like the whole space thing. It's not even just like a brand name. Like it's the thing that I love. I love stargazing. And so I want to build like this quirky stationary line of planetary celestial astronomy stuff that's colorful and bright and quirky and just kind of off kilter because that's how I am. And so ultimately the vision is to build out a full stationary line. Like I want to be bigger than Aaron Condren, but like I'm a black woman. So that just would make it even all the more exciting, right? So that's that. The The vision is um, to help as many people as I can in both business and life. And I would love to do that through like the visionary journal and like stationary. But I'm also leaving the door wide open for what happens under moniquemalcolm.com slash brilliance because I have ideas. I have books and all kinds of things that I would love to bring to life. I just need the time, the energy, the the financial investment because um, products are expensive. So that was a lot. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you got that all. Uh, next question. How do you block out all the gurus? I have so much advice in my head. It's hard to do anything without feeling like I'm not doing it right. So my answer for this is so simple. Literally block them, unfollow them, unsubscribe from their newsletters, mute them. I do this all the time. Um, Even to people that I actually like and respect, sometimes I need them out of my social spaces and out of my spaces. And that doesn't mean that I don't want to support them, but I need need them just out of my, my plane, I guess, because there's a lot of noise online. And you have to be really conscious of who you're learning from and whose content you're consuming. So my best advice in addition to blocking them is choosing, maybe deciding on two or three people who you think their values and what they're saying aligns with where you are and what you think. And then, you know, you can listen to the teachings from them, but also remembering you're your own person you have ideas, you have you have enough to get started and you don't necessarily have to be blocked because you are listening to what everyone else says and what everyone else's thought leadership is. You have things that you can bring to the conversation yourself. And so I encourage you to listen what they say, but you know, take that with a grain of salt and and throw your own spice on it and, and put your own spin on it, do your own thing and don't don't worry about it. So next question is, which comes first or what are hacks for knowing it all? Getting systems for personal organization or the ideal product or giving away info to build engagement plus followers or mastery of the tech you need to make monetization work. And I had to think about this for a second, about which ones I thought go first. I actually knew which ones right away I thought go towards the end, but I was really torn between... um, personal organization and um, giving away info to build engagement or basically like content creation. And I'm going to say what goes first is personal organization. 
And I say this because I'm, I really think that you need to get yourself together and get your own house in order before adding anything more to your plate. And once you start on the path of trying to basically giving away free information, it's content marketing. So once you start on the path of content marketing, people expect you to be consistent. That's one of the you know key things is being consistent, doing this on a regular basis, engaging with people. And that takes a lot of energy and a lot of organization and a lot of planning. And I think if you are already in a space where you have your general organization down, you have something in place, it's easier to build onto that than in reverse. It's a lot harder to start giving out the content and creating the content and then trying to organize yourself after the fact. You're going to you're going to be really frustrated and I think possibly overwhelmed trying to do all of those things. So I definitely think that if you get yourself together and organized and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Like it doesn't even have to be like a full content management project management system. It could really be a planner, a calendar. <laughs> you know, just basic personal organization stuff. It doesn't have to be the full complete you know, set up for a, a business. You just have to get enough to get started. But that's what comes first. What absolutely comes last <laughs> is coming up with the ideal product. You don't come up with the ideal product until you have an audience. You need to know who you're talking to and how you help them first. And then you ask them what they need help with or you do you know, market research to find it out. So that actually comes last because you need the people first. And I don't even think about the mastery of the tech piece. I know a lot of people are really freaked out about the tech stuff, but I promise you for every complicated system out there, there's something that's that's crazy simple because they made it to be simple because they knew people were overwhelmed. Online courses, there used to be so many song and dance we used to have to do to get those online. And now there's so many places that makes having an online course really effortlessly. Same thing with... um blogging, a lot of stuff. So I wouldn't even worry about the tech mastery. I think that you can learn the tech as you go. All right, we're coming towards the end. The question number nine, I have plenty of ideas, though they're all over the place. I have an acting marketing background, so I love storytelling and creating experiences, but I don't have an audience per se. Should we first focus on building an audience around a specific niche or ask the small audience we have now what they'd be interested in. I am always a fan of starting with what you have. So I would definitely ask the existing audience. Doesn't matter if it's five people, doesn't matter. There's five people who have already shown some interest in you and and maybe in some ways there's some alignment there behind what you do or experiences or whatever, it's there. I would start with those people because even even if what they say they'd be interested in isn't in your wheelhouse, if you decide on something else, like a specific niche or something like to that effect, you can always ask that initial audience to refer some friends. Like, do you know anybody that would be interested in learning how to ice skate? Please send them to my Instagram or my website or whatever. So always start with what you have. doesn't have to have to be a massive audience. It can be a small one. Don't discount that. It can be small and mighty, but definitely start with those people. 
And then the final question is, how do you budget marketing into your plan? And I love this because that that means that this person is getting to a space where they're like, okay, I'm going to start throwing some money behind this and seeing what happens. So my first thing is I only suggest paid marketing if you have a proven product, which means it's selling on a regular basis. You have some kind of a customer base that's buying this thing that's showing interest and you're making some money. If you're making $0, don't pay for marketing. You don't need to do that. (laughs) That's not going to necessarily fix your problem. You need to fix some other things first. But if you have, if you have customers and it's consistent, then that's a good indication that people are interested in your product and you can, you can scale that up. But really when it comes to budgeting for the marketing, it really just comes down to how much can you afford to spend that you're not going to cry about losing because even with Facebook ads, there is a period of time where you have to test. The the setting up the ads part, that's not the hard part. What's hard is like finding the audiences, the proper audiences of people, the proper interest of people that's actually going to convert to sales. And Facebook collects a ton of data. So once you find some winners as far as audiences go, you can make back your money pretty quickly. But you're going to have to have a few dollars up front, especially if you're doing this yourself, um, that you may feel like you're throwing down the toilet for a little bit. But don't do that for very long. Um, I took a Facebook ads course about a year ago, and my teacher suggested that we start with about $10 a day. So if you decide to give it about a month, that's $300. I think that's what she made us budget, $300 for the month um, to test ads. And she had this thing, it's like, if If your ads did not generate sales within the first, I think it was three days, she made us cut them off. So I feel like that's a good rule of thumb. Um, And this was was for physical products. So digital products are going to be a little bit different. But physical products, um, that's that's what she had us do for, I guess it technically still counted for... um, digital products as well, because she taught us about using tripwires. So if your tripwire didn't sell within the first three days or so, you're supposed to cut off the ads. But I think that's good advice. Start low, five, $10, and then test it out and and see, and just, you know, give yourself a budget for the month to see what works and make sure that you do a lot of YouTube researching on how to read your stats, your analytics after you run your ads, because there's a lot of data but some of it is confusing to understand. But that's that's what I suggest. So there we have it. That was listener Q&A. Thanks so much for those of you who filled out the survey and who submitted questions. I appreciate it. Your questions were great. And I love doing the listener Q&A calls because it's just so much easier for me to do. Uh, when I do solo episodes, you know, I have to do a lot of planning and research and trying to figure out what to even talk about that's going to be interesting. But when I do a Q&A, the, the pressure's off. I get to just read the question and make myself quick notes so I know what I want to say and then I, I record and here we go. So anyway, that was this episode. Um, just real quick, if you haven't checked out my updated site, I don't want to call it the new site, you should definitely check out moniquemalcolm.com. It's cute. It's super cute. There's a lot of pictures of me on there. I'm going like full in on this whole personal brand thing. So definitely check that out. Uh, I've even put a few ways that you can work with me if you're interested. 
And also the wait list for the Brilliance Lounge is open. I'm going to be reopening doors for the Brilliance Lounge in February. And I'm excited because I'm trying to time the launch with the app that we're getting. So the the company that I'm using to host the membership is we're getting an app and I cannot wait. They've been showing previews and it's super cool. And combined with all of the cool stuff that I have planned for the community this year, I think the app is like the perfect complement to all of that. So I would love to have you. So make sure you join the wait list. You can find that at moniquemalcolm.com backslash waitlist, or technically you can do pimpyourbrilliance.com backslash waitlist. Either or, it'll send you to the right spot. But anyway, that is all I have for this week's episode. So until next time, go out there and pimp your brilliance. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.